Hi, this is Pastor John. Paul addresses a situation in Corinth in which some folks were using their freedom to the detriment of other Christians. They had knowledge, correct knowledge, as Paul admits, but they had a deficit of love. May the Holy Spirit enable you to only boast in one thing, that Jesus loves you, and that his love would govern your knowledge. A reading from 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 13. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. But although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Why do you want to know? That's actually a good question. It might be a good question to ask when someone asks you a question. All right? It's important for parenting too, by the way. Uh, a newly licensed 16-year-old asks, So, Dad, where's the car? And the, the dad says, Well, why do you want to know? Because you'd like to wash it? Um, or thinking you forgot to put on the parking brake and it rolled away? Or hope to borrow it for the evening? So, though he doesn't really say it aloud, uh, Paul, like Jesus before him, 
was a master of asking, why do you want to know? You know, the saints in Corinth had a whole list of questions for him. <clears throat> hey, Paul, this is a question from the first verse of our text, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Hey, Paul, so what do you think about food sacrificed to idols? Well, Paul says, most likely to himself before answering, why do you want to know? Why did the Corinthian Christians want to know? Uh, the Corinthian, Corinthians of the first century definitely prized knowledge. It's as is clear from this text. Uh, Paul mentions, though, as you look through our text for today, Paul mentions the word know or knowledge in this text at least 11 times altogether. So it would be safe to say that he is meeting them where they're at, and the Corinthian Christians valued knowledge. So they thought, you know, that being in the know, in other words, was important. You know, how else are you going to navigate uh, their pagan society uh, that they inhabited without compromising their faith? How do you live in a city filled with idols and among people who worship false gods? instead of the one true God. Well, you got to be in the know. The impulse to be in the know is really, uh, it's, it's alive and well in our day and age. Knowledge is power. At least that's what uh, my world tells me and that and reminds me of it every day. Uh, we pursue knowledge for ourselves and our children, obtaining knowledge through education, you know, K through 12, and then perhaps after that, perhaps trade school or college or, you know, all of that is a good thing. But sometimes we can desire a good thing too much. A number of years ago, I heard a, stu a story of a student who, a student from Africa, an African who formed an observation about American society while pursuing theological education in the States. And so, yes, let's note that he and his church that sent him, his church in Africa that sent him, valued obtaining knowledge through education. But after some time in the States, he told an American teacher that the education in this country is very good, but he noticed that American parents really want their children to go, even push their children to go to college, and preferably the best colleges or universities, um, because they want them to get power and wealth. <coughs> Can we take this pursuit of knowledge too far? I pursued knowledge, I went to school, I search on my smartphone, <laughs> I tune into my podcasts and check my news feeds almost daily because I want to be in the know. And sometime, and then someone then talks into my ear or assaults my, my eyes with images that I may be in the know. But I struggle a bit with that desire to be in the know. I recently made a rule myself a rule at home, no news before my morning workout. 
I even wrote this out on, on our whiteboard on the refrigerator in the kitchen so I wouldn't forget. And I do my devotions before the workout um, or before my walk. So I had to set boundaries for myself recently because I was getting distracted and getting derailed by seeking to be in the know too early in the morning, uh, too early in the day, and perhaps probably too many times throughout the day. Um, you know, all this knowledge has not made me better or made this world better uh, either. As a society, we are divided and at odds with one another. So something is missing. And this text from Corinthians seems to be written for our age, especially, you know, this post-COVID age. Uh, we're awash in information, and which maths as knowledge. You know, you can tune into YouTube or you can Google search, and you will find with that with just the right advice or technique, you can radically improve your health, uh, restore lost kidney function, build a dining room table, and re retire for pennies in some third world country. But not all knowledge is created equal. You can watch a video about this or that diet fad, and now you are convinced and your doctor's advice, which despite his years of training and practice can all be undone by a well-muscled and sincere fellow in a 15-minute video. <laughs> what is legitimate information nowadays? What's not? What's real news? What is fake news? We have become judges of, in, of knowledge, forced into that role by a tidal wave of information that comes at us and inadequate filters for sorting and placing it into a hierarchy. So knowledge is important, but what is the best kind of knowledge? There is a parable that Jesus tells called the parable of the ten virgins that helps us answer that question. And the question again is, knowledge is important, but what is the best kind of knowledge? So the parable is a teaching about the kingdom of heaven, and it's important to know what the oil means in the parable that I will retell briefly. The oil in the, in the parable represents, a, and this is from Matthew 25, the oil in the parable represents a faith continually sustained by the means of grace, and by that I mean uh, that's why we come to church, right? Hear God's word, receive the Lord's supper, strengthen our faith, study God's word, strengthen and sustain our faith. Many are invited to Jesus's kingdom, the parable uh, explains, but miss out by failing to have a living faith in the end. They let their oil, they let their oil run out. In other words, many who are invited will fail to enter heaven because they neglected their faith. They forgot God. And this parable is somewhat alarming, but remember why Jesus tells this parable. He told this parable to encourage you and the church not to lose hope and to keep the faith even if his return seems delayed. And rest assured that your faith, if it seems to be crumbling to you, 
that he can restore that oil of faith with just one word. So here is the parable briefly. And remember, we're trying to answer the question, knowledge is important, but what is the best kind of knowledge? There were 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. The five wise virgins took extra oil to wait for the bridegroom because they didn't know when the bridegroom would come. And because the bridegroom was delayed, the five foolish virgins who did not bring extra oil saw that their lamps were going out. So they went out to the marketplace in the middle of the night looking for more oil. However, that's when the bridegroom came to the marriage feast and the door was shut. The five foolish virgins completing to be let in, Lord, Lord, and the Lord says, I don't know you. We want to be known by God. It is fine to be in the know, but what is more important is to be known by God. That is the knowledge that makes all the difference in the world. Which brings us back to that line in the text that forms the title of this sermon, today's sermon. The one who loves is known by God. That is the knowledge which makes all the difference in the world. Paul tells us that there is a day, there will be a day when all our knowledge will be out of date. But love persists. He writes in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, love never ends. As for knowledge, it will pass away. On that day, God will know us, and that makes all the difference. So love, love God, love the people that God puts in your life, and take comfort that God knows you. Some of the members of the Corinthian congregation had rock-solid knowledge, but they didn't let love govern their knowledge. They said, hey, we know that those are false gods. We know the idols are just wood or gold or stone. We know there's just one true God. We know that this food isn't going to get us any closer to Jesus or push us further away. It's just plain food because those idols don't really exist anyway. We can go ahead and eat at the temple, these temple meals. But Paul's words are clear here. Knowledge which is not rooted in God's love for all people and which results in the exercise of freedom without regard for the other puffs us up. But it does not build up. And by your knowledge, you may destroy a weak brother or sister, weak either in body or, or faith, a brother for whom Christ died, sinning against your brother, your sister, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I harm my bro that brother. <laughs> Jesus has come. He has shown us love and being the crucified and risen Savior from our sins, graciously forgiving us. He is love and has come to live in us, and that gives us a means to understand this world. In Paul's day, this meant that even if I knew that meat sacrifice to an idol was nothing dangerous or a problem, I will still forego eating it if it endangers the soul of my neighbor. I do that not because of my knowledge, but because of my love for the neighbor. Love governs your knowledge, my knowledge. 
Now, my desire for knowledge without humility of love, again, it has disastrous consequences. And my, your healing, my healing begins with the love of God. First, the love that he shows us, and then the love I have for him. That love in my life makes all the difference. Christ-like and inclined to service, not dominion. And there is great, great comfort in knowing that God knows you and everything about you. There is a uh, person lying in great, great weakness in the hospital. God doesn't know. God doesn't care. God doesn't see. These were the words and the feelings of a person lying in great weakness in the hospital. The pastor visited this person and read to her from Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God knows you. You are known by God and he holds you in his hand. And as David wrote, this knowledge is too wonderful for us. It is high and we cannot attain it. And what's more, before the feast of the Passover, before his betrayal, his suffering, death on the cross for us, Jesus rose up from the supper. He took a towel. He tied it around his waist. And he poured water in the basin. He began to wash his disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel. And when he washed their feet, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done for you. You know, we can't rightly understand this kind of love for us, the love that sent God, the love that uh, impelled God to send his son into this world to reestablish our right relationship with him, with our creator. And we can't rightly understand Jesus washing feet so that his love would extend to our brother and sister in Christ. Indeed, love in Christ is strong and living. That's the title of our hymn. Let's stand. Amen. And let's stand and let's sing in response. Love in Christ is strong and living. This is hymn 706. Mm-hmm.